Um, I want to speak to you this morning about how we treat other people, but from the point of view that how we treat others is very strongly influenced by what we think of ourselves, how much we like ourselves, how content and confident we are with who we are and who we think we are. People who are more at ease with themselves and, and, and confident or accepting of themselves find it much easier to be generous and confident in helping other people in their frailties. People who are challenged in their perception of themselves often to hide that, find it difficult not to be aggressive and have less energy to accept others with where they're at. It's a big challenge in our lives because if we love Jesus, we call to, to preach the gospel not just in what we say, but in the way that we interact with others. Word says people will know we're Christians by the love that we share, but it's hard to love if you don't feel loved. And it's hard to, to share kindness when you feel anger and when you feel that you, you yourself are, are, are not who you need to be. I'm led to believe, and you've probably read the same books that I have, that, that spies and undercover agents have to construct something called a legend uh, when they go into the field. They have to deceive people as to who they are. And building a legend is a complex process depending on what they're going to be doing. Is there any way we can cut that light a little bit? It's, it's right in my eyes. Um, I stand a bit forward. But they have to build this legend that encompasses every aspect of their lives that they're going to be challenged on so that people will believe that they're someone that they're not. And it goes into where they were born and who their parents were and where they went to school and who their friends were. And they have to study this legend and begin to give it out as being their standard answer. People who had dropped behind enemy lines during the, the Second World War and had to link up with the French resistance and so forth had to construct this legend which eventually they almost believed themselves. But it created great stress because when you're living something that is not natural and real to you, Every moment, every question, everything that you say could expose you and could leave people seeing who you really are. And if you, were an under, if you are an undercover agent or a spy or someone of that nature, people that you're amongst will not accept who you are. It could be life-threatening. Very often is life-threatening for people in those positions. And so they spend a lot of time and energy constructing this legend, constructing this different person to who they are. And when you read the, the autobiographies of these people and when you read about their lives, you begin to realize the incredible stress that they live under, how very difficult it is to do anything and find peace in it, how difficult it is to get a good night's sleep because constantly you're wondering whether somebody has pierced through the legend and has begun to find the reality and that you're going to be exposed in all your glory as not who they thought you were. Most of us, if not all of us, have, have constructed legends about our lives in some way. Some kind of a mask to deflect the areas of weakness or areas in our lives that we're dissatisfied with or that we believe others wouldn't enjoy. Sometimes it's about what we say and what we do. Sometimes it's what we don't say and we don't do. But we cover up our weaknesses. I've got a friend who's got a huge brain. He's a scientist and an engineer, and he's, he's a very, very clever man. And sometimes he'll come to me, we'll be in conversation, he'll say, you probably know this, and then he'll come with something that is, takes me a long time to begin to understand what he's talking about. And sometimes I say, no, I didn't know that, and sometimes I just keep quiet. And I leave him with the illusion that perhaps I do know what he's talking about. My maternal grandmother was a very wise lady, and she once said to me, if you keep quiet and people think you're a fool, it's better than speaking up and proving them right. 
And sometimes the legend we build is by not contradicting the truth in our lives. We just lay low. And then we have the stress. You know, the next time someone talks about that thing, well, you, you're supposed to know something about it. And when we've told the little lie or we've left out the little truth, something gets on top of that and gets on top of that. And eventually we find ourselves really, really struggling to maintain the mask that we've got there. And those masks are there because of a dissatisfaction that we feel in ourselves and a need to please others and to present something different to who we are. And it's hugely destructive. And it's very prevalent in our lives. Probably because we, we are given so many unrealistic role models to try and live up to or expectations to live up to. But it becomes a part of our lives. And the more insecure we are about who we are, the more defensive we come to, become towards other people. And the more we push them away because if we let them in too close, they might discover where we're hurting. And they might discover where we're inadequate. So anger and, and abruptness and pushing away becomes a way that we keep people from wandering into that area. Either that or we lie some more. And we create more of a legend that we have to now maintain. And our stress and the energy that we're spending on that goes up and what we have left for other people becomes less. It's not random that this happens in our lives. And I don't like to spiritualize everything that happens, but this is a tactic and something which our enemy has employed right through his history with mankind. He even tried it with Jesus. So I'd like to read with you from Luke chapter 4. And I'll just read 13 verses with you from verses 1 to 13. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, you should throw yourself down from here, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift up their hands, lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, did not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time, which means he probably came back at another time with a different kind of temptation. Something that we need to bear in mind when we go into this, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And I don't know what your theology is. But I believe that Jesus, according to what I understand of God, had to operate in his understanding of who he was by faith. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. And he pleased his Father. Jesus had to accept the revelation that God brought him that you are my son and there are things that you have to do and there's a ministry for you. And he had to walk in that faith on a daily basis. And right at the beginning of his ministry, he's just been baptized and he's been led into the wilderness to be tempted. And he's vulnerable. He's physically vulnerable. He hasn't eaten. He hasn't rested properly. He's hungry. And he's about to embark on a ministry which will lead him to death in the end. He's in a vulnerable place. And the enemy comes and tries to convince him that he has to prove himself. Tries to convince him that he has to show some evidence to himself and to the devil to show who he is. That he has to build a picture. 
And the first temptation is, I am what I do. Performance defines us. He says, if you are the Son of God, do this. Do a miracle. Produce a miracle. If you are the Son of God. And how often are we tempted to define ourselves by what we do? It's interesting how it's part of our culture. You meet someone, you have a short conversation, and a little while later you say, so what do you do? And sometimes we define ourselves in what we can do for other people, what we think our skills are, and there's a real temptation to do this. At this point, Jesus hadn't done miracles, hadn't impressed people. We know very little from him being a 12-year-old showing real understanding of God in the temple until this point. He doesn't have a personal best in miracles. Now, I'm busy watching the European Championships, and people are aiming to win or to beat their personal best. He had no track record. He hadn't impressed people. He hadn't used his faith in his father to do something exotic or, or dramatic that people could look at and say, this is the Son of God. And Satan comes to him and says, come on then. Let's see what you got. Let's put it out there. Because by doing that, by showing us what you can do, you can define who you are. By showing us what your ability is, by showing us what your skills are, you can define for us who you are. And that's a massive challenge in our lives. The feeling that we need to keep up, the feeling that we have to impress, the feeling that we have to go one step further every time, the feeling that we have to constantly improve our personal best, live up to somebody else, the expectations that other people have. Parents, we do to our children. We speak stuff into their lives sometimes that's of ourselves and, and not of them. I'm a school teacher. I've been one for almost 37 years now. And it's really sad to me how many times I see parents trying to live their expectations in their lives through their children. And I can think of incidences and of people where children were walking under a burden of having to become what their parents couldn't become because they didn't have the opportunity or the talent or the ability. And our children are being forced in a direction. And it's quite hard to have conversations sometimes. Remember a little girl that was in preschool with my wife who at the age of four, her mother spoke to Sandra and said, I should like her to speak to the other children in the group uh, because her daughter's not able to concentrate enough on her learning and she's going to be a surgeon one day. She's four years old. And she wasn't joking. She's absolutely serious. And there's this pressure to deliver, and if I don't deliver, and if I haven't got the skills, then you're not going to accept me or people won't recognize me. And so we run to create that picture of the efficient person. And Jesus doesn't do that. He just says, I don't live by bread alone. I don't need to do that. The next temptation is what I have. The next thing that we try and build up is an impression of our size by our possessions. Satan comes to Jesus and says, you can have all of these kingdoms. It's mine to give to you. You can have them. Just worship me and you can have them. They're yours. And you know, in a, in a, in a very practical way, Jesus had very little at this time. The son of a poor carpenter, 40 days in the wilderness, didn't even have a plate of food. And Satan comes to him and says, come on, I'll give you all this stuff. Just Build this image. Just acknowledge that you need this. Just, just make this your, your goal. And I find it really, really sad how much our possessions govern what we think people think of us. You know, every now and then at the school we have a Mufti Day. Back in South Africa we called it the Civvies Day. The children can come in what they choose to wear. They don't have to wear their uniform. Man, I tell you what. 
the amount of money that walks around my school that day in Nikes, I could fund the school for six months. I had one lad, every single outfit he had, the cap, the jacket, and the shoes matched perfectly. You were there, you were working at the school when he was there, you'll remember him. The amount of effort that goes into the branding. A pair of shoes, but it's got a little mark on it, and it says, I've got something better than you, or I've got something as good as you, and the subtle message is, therefore, I'm acceptable and Satan comes to Jesus and says, I've got a whole bunch of kingdoms. What about you? I'll give you these. And the son of the carpenter says, no. He says, I'll worship my father only. And the third temptation, I am what others think. Popularity. I didn't realize until I started looking more closely, there's a significance in Jesus being taken to the highest point of the temple. If all Satan wanted to do was tempt him to jump off a high point and be captured, uh, caught by angels before he fell, he could have taken him anywhere. But the highest point in the temple was a very public place. And if it had happened there and Jesus had chosen to do that and angels had caught him, man, that could have established him. You know, if you, if you want to do something spectacular in, in Jerusalem, at that stage you would do it at the temple. Highest point of the temple. People will see. You won't have to earn their belief. You won't have to earn their authority. Just jump off. Your father said he'll catch you, and you will be popular. Can I tell you something? Jesus was a huge disappointment to many people at various times because he didn't do what they wanted. At one point, his family thought he was mad. The priest said he had a demon. The crowds cried out to crucify him because he hadn't become what they wanted him to be. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the person who sealed our salvation with his death didn't please everybody. Didn't succumb to the temptations to need to please those people because he walked in a different kind of confidence. And that confidence is outlined in a few verses before this starts. It says in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, which happened just before the temptation of Jesus. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily in form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my son, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. And that was all that Jesus needed. Didn't need to prove anything else. God said to him, you are my son, who I love, and I'm pleased with you. And Jesus chose to believe that. He chose to believe that above the circumstances. He chose to believe that above the temptation of the enemy to say, you need more, you need to do something more. You are my son, whom I love. I'm pleased with you. And that took him through his ministry, and that took him to the cross. We sing that wonderful song, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus' Love and Righteousness. I, I would ask you to begin to challenge your legend and see how much of it is serving you and how much you're serving your legend. It's become a, a term, he's a legend. Quite often legends are just that. I was reading this week about Joe DiMaggio. You may not 
have heard of him, or you may have. If you're older, you will have. He was a very famous baseball player in the United States. Landed up, amongst other things, marrying Marilyn Monroe. A national hero. People would stand up and applaud spontaneously when he walked into restaurants. And yet when he died and people wrote his biography, what they found was it was all a sham. He was a bitter, unhappy, selfish, and greedy man who spent all of his energy presenting this perfect American hero to the public. And he was a deeply unhappy man. Hugely successful, hugely popular, very highly thought of, with very little to give to the people around him besides the image and the legend. I, I encourage you to challenge your legend. There is incredible strength in stripping away your legend before God. I, I talk about this sometimes because it, it was such a revelation to me. Part of your legend is that whole concept of putting the best forward that you have. And you do that when you meet people that you're afraid of or that you feel that you need to conceal your weaknesses from. We put our best foot forward. We dress the best we can. We cook the best food we can. We tidy the house as well we can to impress the people in, in some other way. And we try and hide our shortcomings. We turn over the cushion with a worn patch on it. We we'll do whatever's needed. I want to assure you of something that, that was a bit of a revelation to me, but I really appreciated it when someone explained it to me. There is no value, no point, or no means with which you can put your best foot forward with God. He knows everything. There is no point in going before him with your legend. He absolutely knows the truth. There is no point in going before him keeping quiet about your weaknesses because he knows them. Every horrible thing that you've ever done, everything that you're too ashamed to even admit to yourself, every embarrassing moment in your life that you cringe when you think about it, every failure, every disappointment that you feel you've been to other people, he knows about absolutely, and he loves you. Unconditionally. He loves you to death, to his own death. In spite of the things that you feel you can't talk to about anybody else, you can't put the legend or the best foot forward with him. He knows you and he loves you. And the quicker we begin to open up to him about our insecurities and our weaknesses, the quicker he can do something about them. I love looking at the Psalms because of the brutal honesty. Let me read you a Psalm of David, Psalm 6. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. For my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I'm worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my, bread, my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail me because of all my foes. Really confident. Quite a biography. Hi, I'm King David. I drench my bed with my tears every night. I'm the famous King David. I groan from my disappointments and my shame. But he comes before God with brutal honesty, and he opens himself up, and he says, what does he talk about? Your unfailing love. Because in the midst of all of that, he is God's chosen, he is loved, and in him God is pleased. 
This frail human being, who was also a very powerful human being, is the one person that God says in Acts chapter 13, it, it, it records that after removing Saul, he made David the king, and God testified concerning him, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. This is someone that I can work with. Someone who comes before me honestly, openly, brokenly, and just opens up and says, this is where I am, Lord. Help. I have one thing I can stand on. I have one thing that I can put my trust in, your unfailing love. It's all you need. And sometimes it's all you've got. And sometimes when we're hitting a really difficult patch and we're struggling and everything's going squirrely, instead of us turning to God and taking that and just saying, here I am, help, we begin to build a legend. I'm okay. I'm okay. I needn't show weakness to people. I needn't show hurt to people. I needn't show a lack of confidence to people. I will just construct these truths and half-truths and unsaid things, and I will build up the legend, and I'll push the legend out for people to see, and it takes all of our energy, takes all of our time, becomes such a burden. And then when people begin to challenge the legend, we hit back, back off. Don't go into that area. That hurts too much. That's where the, the scab tears off if you come too close. I want to encourage you to drop your legend at the very least with God. To realize that you're not going to change how he feels about you by anything that you admit, by any weakness that you show, by any failure that you bring before him, by any not living up to the standards that you believe you have to live. You're not going to shock him. You're not going to get him to back off one millimeter in his love for you. You're not going to surprise him. You're not going to stand before God and say, here I am, drenching my bed with my tears when everyone thinks I'm this mighty captain of the armies. But I'm, and God's going to go, oh, I didn't know about that. That's rather d- disappointing. Uh, he's there before you ever got there. I had the privilege of, of having a, a family where I was made confident, where I was loved. My father believed in me and told me that. He loved me and told me that. But I'm aware that many people never had that and have never had that. And I'm aware because I've worked with children for all the years that I have that not all have enjoyed that kind of privilege. And there are many people, and probably quite a few here this morning, who have been wounded by not having that assurance and that confidence expressed in you, not having it overtly said to you, that you are valuable and precious. I want to say to you this morning that there's a heavenly father that is dying to say to you, who died to say to you, who is now living to say to you, you're my child, whom I love. I'm pleased with you. Not because of anything that you can construct, but because of what he's already done not because of anyone that you can be, because of who he is. He just loves you. Just sit for a moment and think about that. There is someone in this universe of infinite power and glory who just loves you, as you are. And what's more, he wants you to know that. He's written a whole book to tell you that he wants to love you, 
He wants you to know that He cares for you just as you are, that He doesn't need the legend, that He doesn't believe the legend, that He doesn't want you tempted to try and prove yourself by your possessions or your work or your popularity. I find it so sad people define their lives nowadays by how many likes they get, how many hits they get, how many retweets they get, how many friends they have on Facebook, whose details are being shared with other friends and companies, and and we won't go into that. But that's how life is defined. I put something out, and 30 people read it. I must be worth something. You are worth the life of the Lord Jesus Christ just because you are who you are. And if no one's told you that they loved you, if no one's told you that you're worthy, if you've had to begin to try and figure that out for yourself and you begin building a legend that you think people can love, I need to say to you, just leave it. Just leave it. Accept his love. Let him into your life. Let him walk past the legend and take all the energy that you're spending on that and use it to love him. And you know what? You won't be perfect. You won't suddenly be amazing. The things that scare you may still scare you. The challenges may still be there. But the very real presence of Almighty God will be what fills your expectations and your heart rather than your own abilities. His track record, he's got a great personal best. He's got a great personal best, much better than yours. I want to encourage you to rely on him and to seek the affirmation that you might be trying to get through your legend free, given with great joy and everlasting. Let's pray together. Father, I'm reminded of the old hymn, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me and that you bid me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. And I want to pray for any person here this morning, and I want to just invite any person here this morning who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and doesn't yet have the confidence to call God Father, that there is an opportunity just to invite him into your life, to open yourself up to him and say, I need you. I need you to bring salvation and forgiveness from my sins. I need you to be the Lord of my life. Lord, I want to pray for those people that they'll be able to open their hearts to you if they've never done it before and invite you into their lives. I want to pray for those that have asked you into their lives but are still carried on maintaining the legend, that's still trying to please you by what we can do what we have, who we know. And pray, Lord, that you'll break down those barriers and bring freedom just to love and be loved. I pray, Lord, that our, our love for you will be evident to others, that the energy that we spend trying to impress will rather be spent in fellowship, in helping, and in honoring you. Thank you, Lord, for your unfailing love. Amen.